0: Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message.
1: If you have your Bibles, you can turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We have been focusing on walking with God. How do we walk with God each and every day of our lives? And as we talked about this matter of walking with God, we established a principle that we saw that was in the Word of God three times. And that principle is so very, very important in this matter of walking with God. The principle is found here in James. It's found in First Peter. It's also found in the Old Testament. And that principle is this, that God resisteth or opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Think about that. That very simple principle said three times in God's word, God is opposed to the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. That means if we have sinful pride in our lives, that God says in his holiness that he's going to oppose us. And Remember, that means to draw up a battle line against us. It means to oppose and stand against us. And if Almighty God is standing against you, you're not going to advance any further than that. Amen? Because he's an all-powerful God. So if we walk in pride, he's going to oppose us. But if we have humility of heart, then God says that he'll give to us grace. And not just grace, he'll give to us a greater grace. And if we're smart, we want the greater grace. Amen? Amen? I want the blessings and kindness and favor of God in my life. I don't want God to oppose me. I want to walk with God, not be resisted by God. So that principle we talked about. And then the next thing we did last week, we took a test. Because after we we established that principle, I told you I looked among you and I thought all of y'all were humble. I was the only prideful one of the bunch. So I could tell you felt real good about where you were. So I just simply asked if we could take a test. So we went into the passage that Jesus talked about, that story, the parable, as he talked about the Pharisee and the publican, the Pharisee being a picture of pride, the publican being a picture of humility. And we gave four characteristics. You remember that? The characteristics of pride is pride will not admit that it has a need. It will not admit that it has a need. The second thing is if it ever would admit it has a need, it thinks it can meet its own need. Don't need help from anybody else. I can do it all myself, trusting in myself that I am righteous. The third characteristic was pride views other people with contempt. If you have ever had the temptation to look down your nose at somebody, if you ever had the idea that you might think you're better than somebody because of whatever reason it might be, If you've ever had that creep into your heart and life, then that is a picture of pride. So that means that you struggle with pride. The fourth characteristic then, you remember it? More interested in what people think than what God thinks. And if in your life you have ever allowed what people think to dictate what you do or what you don't do, because you're concerned about what somebody else is going to think, more than you're concerned about what God's thinking, then that's pride in your life. So whenever we laid out that test and we find what this pride is, I felt like most of us realize that we all struggle in somehow in some way with this sinful pride. So because we do struggle with this sinful pride, there are times that God is going to oppose us. We don't want that to be in our lives, We want to have victory over that prideful heart. Amen? So that's what today is all about. It's really where we want to get to. We want to find out how do you have victory over this prideful, sinful heart so that we can walk in humility and we can experience the greater grace of God. Where do you find the answer to how to have victory over that prideful heart? Well, you find it in the same passages where we looked at that principle in James and in 1 Peter. So we're going to talk about four things today. The principle, all right? We're going to talk about the problem. Then we're going to talk about the power. And then we're going to talk about three glorious promises, all right? So you're going to need to write this down. You take notes, you're going to need to write it down because you're not going to remember it. Do you realize that people only remember 50% of what they hear? Did y'all know that? And and 24 hours after they hear it, they only remember about 33% of what they heard. That's why whenever I ask people during the middle of the week how they like that sermon, they got this fearful look that I might ask them what it was about. Because they don't remember what it was about. It was good, but they just don't remember what it was. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's why you need to write it down. You're going to need it somewhere, all right? If you're really serious about having a victorious life, walking in the greater grace of God, experiencing humility, you need to see what God's Word says. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the principle. Very easily stated there in James chapter 4. I had you look at it. Verse number 6. Let's say it one more time. It says, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, here's that principle. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Everybody agree with that in God's word? Everybody see that? In bold letters in your Bible, that it says that God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, let's talk about the problem. We have a problem. The problem is a three-headed monster that we have to deal with in regard to pride. Did y'all know there's a three-headed monster we have to deal with about pride? Let's define what those heads are, and let's define out what those monsters are that we have to deal with, all right? Here's the first problem. We have a sinful nature. We have a sinful nature. Ever since the fall of man, ever since Adam and Eve sin, it's been passed on to every one of us that we have a sinful nature. And that sinful nature has a proneness towards pride. Did y'all realize that? Our sinful nature has a proneness towards pride. Now, hold your hand here for just a minute and flip back in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. If you're not there, I'll read it for you, but you need to write down and look at it later. I'm going to begin reading in verse 15 what Paul said about that nature we have. He's describing himself. See if you relate to this. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. But if I do the very thing that I do not wish to do, I agree with the law confessing that is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I'm doing the very thing, I do not wish I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Listen to verse 21. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. Have you ever had that struggle? <laughs> Have you ever had that struggle where you know the right thing to do, but there's something that's pushing you and a proneness to do the wrong thing you can't understand because this is the evil thing to do, and you don't really want to do it, but you end up doing that, saying that, acting that way, thing that you ought to do, you don't do what you ought to do, and you back up and say, who in the world am I? I tell you who you are, you are a sinner. <laughs> You're a sinner with a sinful nature, and that sinful nature is prone towards pride. Our sinful nature is not prone towards humility. Now, we know that happened because of what happens, it says in Romans chapter 8. You know what it says in Romans 8? You can read it when you get home. It says that whenever man fell, it wasn't just man fell, all of creation fell. And a sinful world came about. And therefore, in that sinful world, it moves towards chaos, not towards order. That means that whenever you go out and you're trying to put a garden in, you put that garden in and you plant all the the plants and you, you wait for them to come up. And whenever they come up, did you notice that weeds come up faster than the seeds you wanted to come up? Have you ever noticed that? Now, why would that happen? Because of sin, right? We're out working on a farm right now and we're fighting privy hedge. You know what privy hedge is? It's of the devil. It's just of the devil, I'm telling you. It's good for nothing except to cause pain. Now, why would that be? Because the world is prone towards chaos. There's thorns and thistles everywhere. You know why? Because the world is full of sin, and the result of that was thorns and thistles. The world is full of sin, and it's a proneness towards chaos, and men and women, we are full of sin. <laughs> Even though we're redeemed, we still have the old sinful nature. And we have a proneness towards pride. You don't believe that? Just go look at the preschoolers. What's pride? Pride is about the big I. It's what I want. I want it when I want it. It's mine. You ever heard preschoolers? Nobody had to teach them the word mine. They came here knowing that. When they were sucking their bottle, they knew mine. They just couldn't verbalize it. But they knew what mine was. And one of the first things they learn is mine. This is mine. It's all about me. If I want to get up in the middle of the night, mom and dad, too bad. I don't care what you want to do. I'm, I'm going to get up in the middle of the night and you getting up with me. Right? Exactly. We don't grow out of that. We just learn how to paint it a different picture. Right? Because our source of quarrels among us, I'm sure none of you ever quarrel with anybody, but the source of quarrels among us is that our pleasure wage war with one another. You know what that means? What I want's not what you want, and we got to battle. And all of that's based on pride. So the first monster we got to deal with is our own sinful nature. That our own sinful nature that, that you wake up with Every morning. You wake up with every morning. Every morning I get up, there's that old sinful nature again. I mean, you have to crucify it with Christ and it resurrects, doesn't it? You try to put it to death and it comes back. We have a problem. First part of that problem, that three-headed monster, is that sinful nature within us. But there's a, I mean, there's a second problem. A second problem is this. We live in a world. We live in a world that lives in pride. The, the world we live in is all about pride. It, the, the dominant characteristic of a sinful world is pride. You don't believe that. Listen to what he says in the book of Ephesians. This is the apostle Paul. James is kind of the practical one and Paul is more of the theologian and he describes about this part of the world and, and the sinful nature of the world and how it the characteristic of the world's pride. Listen to what it says, verse Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. And it says, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience are all the people in the world who've not yet come and submitted themselves to Christ. And he says there's a spirit that used to be in you before you got saved, and it's working in the sons of disobedience, or it means it's working in the life of everybody else in the world who doesn't know Jesus. And you know what that spirit is? It's a spirit of pride. So when you're out there living in the world and rubbing shoulders with people, the dominant characteristic in their life is going to be sinful pride. It's not gonna be humility. When you find humility, you're surprised by that. When you find humility, it's usually because Jesus come and redeem somebody from their prideful heart. But left to themselves, they are going to go towards pride, pride, pride. So if you have pride and you're walking around with a bunch of people who live with the characteristic of pride, do you understand how we fit in? How, how that's something we have to overcome? Because if you walk in humility, you're going you're to swim upstream to what the world is doing. All right? That's the second monster. Head of the monster. What's the third head? Here it is. Old Satan. Yeah, he's real. Old Satan is the chief of the prideful. Remember, he's the first one who had pride that fell. And when he fell, created Satan. Lucifer became Satan. And he's been the prince of the power of the air. And he's been dominating this world ever since they gave him dominion. Thankful for what Jesus did. And one day Jesus is going to put him in the pit. Amen? But until he puts him in the pit, we're going to have to deal with old Satan. And I'll tell you what Satan does. Because he's the chief of the prideful, he is constantly encouraging and affirming every prideful act you do. He cheers you on. Whenever you let pride creep in your heart and pride dominates you and pride is a part of your relationship and how you act, oh, Satan is up in the stands and he's cheering you on. He's helping you every way. He's putting every way opportunity you can that you'll be more prideful and more prideful. Because why? When you are walking in pride, you're following him, not Jesus. Whenever you have pride in your life, you're being like him. Not like Jesus. And what are we called to be? We're Christians. That means little Christ. That means to be like Jesus. We're called as believers to be like Jesus. And old Satan says, if I can make you walk in pride and I can encourage you to walk in pride and I can get you to walk in pride, you're walking more like me than you are like the one who saved you. You see why it's a problem? (laughs) Problem in me, a problem around me, a problem with the old enemy who tries to influence me. It is a problem, and that's why I walk in pride at times. That's why you do too. And, and you need to be aware. You need to be aware of those, those three problems we got and those three monsters that we have to deal with. You need to be aware of them, and you need to say, dear Lord, help me to overcome that three-headed monster. Now, let's talk about the power. What is the power that will help us to overcome and defeat that three-headed monster? Amen? That's what we need, right? How do we overcome him? How do we overcome us? How do we overcome the world? How can we do that? Well, God gives us the power. Let me show you where it says. Here in James chapter 4, back in that passage, in James chapter 4, it's going to outline the very next verse. Here it is, verse 7. Here's the first answer to how you get the power to have victory over pride. Submit, therefore, to God. You ought to underline that about three times, okay? Submit, therefore, to God. Submit means that you recognize that God, especially the Lord Jesus, that they are Lord, God, and authority over life and over you. I hope that you remember that James is written to believers. So he's talking to believers. He's talking to people who've already given their heart to Jesus. I'm talking to many of you who've already given your heart to Jesus. So Jesus lives in your life. And whenever you accepted Jesus, you accepted him as Savior and Lord. Not just Savior who saves you from your sin. You accept him as Savior and Lord. That means boss of your life. He won't come into your heart and life just to be Savior, he's going to come into your life because he's Lord. You can't remove the lordship of Jesus from Jesus. And if you know Jesus in your life, he is Savior and He is Lord. And you on that day submitted yourself to Him and said, I want you to be Lord or boss or ruler over my life. And you meant that. And that's why Jesus came into your heart and life. If you didn't mean it, he knows the thought and intent of your heart. If you didn't mean it, he's not going to be fooled by you, but you meant it in your life. You wanted him to come into your heart and life. And so he came and took residence in your life. And he's in there forever. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's always in your life, but here's the question. When he's in your life, are you allowing him to be Lord over your life? Are you allowing him to be who he is? Are you rebelling against his lordship? Are you allowing him to be the leader and guide of your life? That's what it means to submit to God. We must say before almighty God, dear God, I want you to be leader of my life. Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to be in charge of my life. I'm tired of being in charge. I'm tired of making the decisions I've been making and making the mess I've been making. But I want you to be who you really are, not only in the world, but in my life. I want you to be Lord. That's what it means to submit. It means to bow before him, recognizing who he is and letting him be in you who he is. That's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And you said you wanted to be in your life and He needs to be in your life. He needs to be sitting on the throne of your life. The throne of your life is who's making the decisions about what goes on in your life. What goes on in your kingdom? Your kingdom is your life. What goes on in your kingdom? Who's sitting on the throne? Are you sitting on the throne? If you're sitting on the throne, nobody's afraid of you. Oh, Satan's not worried about you. The world's not worried about you. You are not anything to make any fear or trembling happen in anybody in the spiritual realm if you're sitting on the throne. And too many of us sit on the throne every day of our lives. And that's why James says if you're going to have victory, it's not going to be because you're sitting on the throne, it's not going to be because you're in charge, it's not because you're making the choices. The way you're going to have the power to overcome the enemy and to have victory over pride is you're going to have to submit to God. And that means whether on your knees or on your face or in your heart that you bow before the king of kings and acknowledge he has the right and the place and you give it to him. That sounds so simple, but it is so profound That simple act will radically change your life and the direction of your life because you submit to him. Now, that means you do it often. You just continuously do it. I I don't know about you. I have so much pride in my life. I'll pray and say, Lord, I want you on the throne. And I really mean that with all my heart. I want you ruling my life. And then by nine o'clock in the morning, I've already taken back over charge. I'm already ruling this. I I like to make decisions, obviously, because I make lots of them. Many of them aren't very good decisions, but I at least make it. Amen? And so I'm making all these decisions, and God just taps me on the head. Sounds kind of like tapping on wood. And God says, why don't you let me make a decision and let me direct your life? And whenever I do that, life's a whole lot different. But I have to continuously, continuously, forever submit myself to him. Because pride wants to creep up that old monster. I like to be be in charge. Everybody says, we all like to be in charge. The old devil says, go ahead, be in charge. But we have to submit to God. Submit to the Lordship of Christ. Now, let me tell you what. When you submit to the Lordship of Christ, the first thing it does, it brings protection in your life. He brings protection in your life. That, that before anybody can do anything in your life, they have to check in the throne. Have to find out what's going on in the throne room. And like I said, if you're sitting on the throne, nobody's worried about it. They'll trespass all day. The devil, devil, devil will never even stop. He'll never even slow down. He sees you on the throne. But when the king of kings and lord of lords is on the throne, he can't touch you. He can't do one thing in your life. He can't bring anything into your life except that it would be allowed by the Lord Jesus it would only be allowed by the Lord Jesus for your good and for God's glory. It's not going to be any of fulfilling Satan's plan. It's only fulfilling God's plan and using him as a messenger boy. You understand that? That's when Jesus is on the throne. So he's there to protect you. Protect you from the enemy. But not only to protect you, but to direct you. To direct your life. What do you do and what do you need to do? And where should you be and how should you handle this? How should you respond to that? Or maybe you shouldn't respond at all. When to speak and when to be quiet. All those things we face in life. He directs us. Because why? We've submitted to the lordship of Christ. As Soon as he says that he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Look in your word. The very next word. But submit to God. But submit to God. But submit to God. There is no help or hope. Unless you have the power of God on the throne of your heart. Protecting and directing you. And giving you victory. That's the power, all right? Well, let's talk about one other thing. Let's talk about three glorious promises. Promises are great, all right? The promises in the word of God are the power of God's word. Hold on a second. Y'all don't go to sleep. Punch somebody right now. Wake them up, just a second. Wake them up, all right? I see some of them getting a little sleepy. Punch them. You need to hear this. Listen to me. You need to hear this. You need to discover the promises of God because the promises of God are the power of God unto faith. He's called us to live by faith. What does it mean to live by faith? Live by faith is not saying something long enough and enough times and thinking positively enough that it's going to happen. That's called positive thinking. There's nothing wrong with positive thinking, but it's certainly not biblical faith and it has no power like faith does. Faith is based upon the promises of God's word. Whatever God says he will do, God will do. He will move heaven and earth to fulfill his promises and accomplish his purpose based on his word. Not my word, his word. That's why they're called the promises of God. Now, right here in this passage, he gives three glorious promises. Look at them with me right here. In verse number eight of James chapter four, here he says, I mean, verse number seven to begin with, submit therefore to God. We covered that. Here's the first one. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. First promise. That's a great promise. How many of you like to cohabit with the devil? You don't need to. He stinks. He's horrible. You understand that? He's horrible. There's nothing good about him. You can't paint him any way. He's horrible. You do not need him in your life. You need to get him out of your life. And here's the promise. When you've submitted to God and Jesus is on the throne of your life and he is the protector of your heart and the director of your life, when he is in charge, then all you have to do is resist the devil and he has to flee from you. I thank you over here. Y'all said amen. Let me go one right here. Let's do that one one more time, all right? You need to hear this. Whenever you submit to God and you resist the devil, he must flee from you. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm getting Pentecostal here. a amen. Y'all got to get more excited about that. He he is not leaving because you resist him. He's not afraid of you. Do you know why he's leaving? Because on the throne of your life is Jesus. See, here's the equation. When you submit to God and he is on the throne and you resist the devil, it equals he has to leave you alone and get away from you. That is a promise from God. That is a promise from God. It's not not that you think better or you feel better. You'll try harder. It's not anything based on it. It's based on God's word. So what do you do? The old devil, Satan, you have no right. You have no place. I resist you. I stand against you and I call you a trespasser. And because Jesus is on the throne of my heart, you have no right and you must leave and he must depart. Not based on your prayer, not based on your faith, not based on anything else except the fact that you believe God's word and God's sitting on your throne and he gives you the power to have victory over that. That's the first promise. If that were the only promise, it's worth coming today, amen? Unless you just like fooling around with the devil, unless you just like him to cohabit with you, I'm here to tell you, you don't want that. You don't need that. And you don't have to have that if you'll resist him. God is the power, but you make the choice, and he has to leave. Here's the second promise, though. Verse number eight. Listen. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Well, that's a great promise. Amen? That's not just a statement. That's a promise in God's word. If you will choose that you want to draw near to God, then God's promise is God will draw near to you, right? I've heard people say, well, I feel like God is a million miles away. Do you know how to settle that? You know how to settle that? Draw near to God, and God has promised he will draw near to you. Do you know how close you can be to God? As close as you want to be. As close as you want to be. All you have to do is claim the promise. Somebody said, well, I don't feel it in my heart. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Feelings ain't got nothing to do with it. It's faith. Amen? And it's the promise of God. And all you have to do is say, God, based on your word, I'm choosing to draw near to you. I'm going to draw near to you. And I claim by faith that you have promised that you will draw near to me. I'm smelly and stinky, and you probably don't want to have nothing to do with me, but you, based on your word, you said that you would. Amen? Amen? Then the old father run out there to his stinky prodigal son who smelled like a pig whenever he's walking home? What did his son do? His son was drawing near to him. What did the father do? He went out and embraced him and kissed him and hugged him, put a robe on his back, ring on his fingers, sandals on his feet, kill the fatted calf. For my son who was dead is now alive. That's a picture of God Almighty. All he's waiting is for you to come home. Old devil's going to tell you he don't want you home. He don't like you anymore. That's all a lie. That is all i lie. draw near to him. He'll draw near to you. Now, how do you draw near to God? That's a good question, right? It tells you right there in the next verse. This is is good preaching. This is good preaching because because why? It's just the word of God. All I'm doing just reading it to you, right? That's that's what it says In, in verse number eight. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Here it is. How do you draw near to God? Cleanse your hands. First thing it means, clean up what you're doing you're doing something wrong stop doing it you're doing something wrong just clean up your hands in the activity of your life there are activities we do they're long stop it just stop it and and then it turns around it says not only that you're to cleanse your hands you sinners but purify your hearts you double-minded It's not enough just to stop what I'm doing. I've got to clean my heart. You know what my heart is? My heart is my mind, what I think. It's my emotions, what I feel. It's my will, what I choose. So clean up your heart. Clean up what you're feeling. Clean up what you're thinking. Clean up what you're choosing to do. Just clean it up. Don't be double-minded. Don't think of the world and, and, and the things of God at the same time. Choose one mind, amen? It's hard enough to deal with one mind. We sure can't handle two. Do not be double-minded, but choose to clean up your act and get your heart right with God. That draws yourself near to God, and God has promised he will draw near to you. That's a great promise. Great. Here's the third promise, though. Verse number 10. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Hear that promise? All you have to do is humble yourself and of the Lord. What is humility? I readily admit that I have a need. Lord, I know I can't meet my own need, so I'm trusting you to meet that need. And Lord, I don't look down on anybody else. I'm not criticizing anybody else. I'm not, I'm not worried about what somebody else is doing. I'm just looking at you and what you would think about me. Lord, I'm not interested in what people would think about me. I'm more interested in what you'd think about me. And I want to hu- humble myself before you and recognize you as Almighty God and bow before you and submit my to you and Lord you have promised that in due time you will exalt me that you will lift me up that you will do in me and bless in me all the things that you choose and what your will might be in my life that's what Lord you have said that you will do for me another word for the greater grace of God you have said that when I humble myself I'll experience the greater Grace of God. Wow. Those three promises can radically. Change your life. And they're just in three verses of Scripture, one right after the other, promises of God of how to live, how to walk with God, how to be in humility of heart rather than full of pride, realizing the power of God is to submit to God. And whenever you'll do those things and claim those promises under submission of God, you will defeat that ugly three-headed monster that is Our sinful nature, the world we live in, and old Satan who tries to drag us down, it doesn't matter how fierce that three-headed monster might be, it will be defeated. It will be defeated. Now, hold on a second. The devil doesn't want you to know what I just said, all right? The devil doesn't want you, and he certainly doesn't want you to do what I just said. Matter of fact, he's more concerned about you doing it than you knowing it. But if you will know it and you will do it, you will set him running. If you will know it and you will do it, you'll experience the greater grace of God. If you'll know it and you'll do it, you'll know what it is to walk with God. To walk with God on a daily basis. And I'll assure you one thing. If you'll begin to live this, practice this, claim these promises and walk this way, The old devil will be worried every time you wake up. When's the last time the devil got worried that you you woke up? That you were out in the world? When's the last time he had to put more demons on you to try to pull you down because of the power that you're walking in your life? say, oh, Brother Mac, do you think that's really true? Oh, I know it's true. Remember the book of Acts? When those guys were casting out demons? And they didn't have the power of God. They didn't didn't know Jesus. Lord, they just saw what Paul and them were doing and and what they were practicing. They decided they'd do that. You remember that? And then they call out these demons gonna cast them out. You remember what the demons said? They said, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but who are you? And the demon jumped on them, beat the tar out of them. Put it in southern lingo. And what was interesting about that? They know Jesus and they know Paul. I'm here to tell you, Jesus is one thing, but every day Paul got up, those demons were weary. They were weary because they were having to work double time and triple time just to try to pull him down. It didn't matter if he was shipwrecked. It didn't matter if he was beaten with rods. It didn't matter if he was stoned to death. It didn't matter if he was thrown into prison. It didn't matter whatever. It didn't matter. Because he was going to make sure Jesus was on the throne. And when Jesus was on the throne, he had a power to walk with God. Amen? Do you want to be such a person? That somebody knows you, not just in heaven, but they know you in the realm of darkness because they know that you're a force to be reckoned with, not because of you, but because you know how, what it is to let Jesus be Lord over your life.
0: That concludes this week's message from Brother Mack. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon-series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world.